Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are studying the second parak of Sefer Melachim. Together with the first parak, it forms an introductory unit to the Sefer dealing with the transition from David to Shlomo. The parak opens with David's final words to Shlomo, advice and guidance for him as king. And he starts by saying, V'chazakta v'hayisa le'ish, which literally means be strong and show thyself a man. He's telling Shlomo the road ahead will be difficult, that the task in front of him will be daunting, and it will require some real resolve. And we don't have to look beyond this parak to see already examples when that resolve will be uh, very, very important. David tells Shlomo to follow Hashem's laws, his statutes found in Torah's Moshe. So again, together with this is a kind of general principles that you're going to need to be strong and stalwart and you need to follow the ways of Hashem. And then David turns to very pointed, very specific matters that Shlomo needs to attend to. Firstly, he brings up his fierce general, Yoav ben Tzruya, and he notes that Yoav killed Avner as well as Amasa two episodes that we've discussed at length and I'm not going to rehash here. And David says that Yoav should now, he should, he should be killed, that he should not be able to die a natural death. He doesn't quite tell him, doesn't quite tell Shlomo to kill him, but he tells Shlomo that he should act cunningly and ensure that Yoav does not die a natural death. Interestingly, David does not bring up the fact that Yoav killed Avshalom, which was certainly the most significant reason that David felt resentment towards Yoav. He focused particularly on his killing Amasa and Avner. Interesting, something to consider. David then tells Shlomo to continue uh, providing for and showing gratitude to Barzillai because of the chesed shown to David when David was fleeing from Avshalom. So not everything that David is preoccupied with is negative. There's some positives showing Hakar Satov, gratitude. And on the other hand, he says that Shimi ben Geira, who is a relative of Shaul's, uh, who cursed David when David was uh, fleeing from Avshalom. So Shimon ben Gira, like Yoav, should not be permitted to die a natural death. He should be killed, but also with wisdom, with chachma, should be thought out and, uh, and done in, a, in a, a crafty way. We then learn that David passes away after having given this last parting words. He passes away after 40 years of serving as the great king of Israel, and he is laid to rest uh, by the city of David. And, uh, and of course, his legacy is now firmly established through Shlomo. Now, there's a lot to interrogate here in David's first words to Shlomo. Firstly, uh, is this really kind of the fitting last words for David, commanding Shlomo to kill people with whom he had grievances, to exact the king's vengeance, is this what the sweet singer of Israel has to say on his deathbed? Is this really uh, suitable for, for David's final words? That's kind of the first major question. And then we can also ask a very simple question, and that is, if David wanted Shimi ben Gera dead, if he wanted Yoav dead, why didn't he kill them? So technically you could say, well, Shimi, he made a promise to him that he wouldn't kill him when he was crossing the Yardin to come back to the seat of power. So maybe David's hands were tied and it needed to be done by Shlomo. And maybe you could say something similar regarding Yoav. He was so politically important. Maybe David had a certain debt of gratitude towards him and he just couldn't himself kill Yoav. And so he's now asking Shlomo 
to kind of circumvent those issues, and Shlomo can kill them. But I think we can give a much more compelling answer by marrying these two questions together, putting them together. Why is it that these are the final words of David? Let's start with that one. It's not out of pettiness. David is not just having Shlomo uh, you know, run his, his errands and, and, and finish tasks that he either couldn't or couldn't be bothered to do. No, it's much more profound than that. What's going on? David is telling Shlomo that there are forces out there, there are individuals out there who will undermine your kingship, who can really do great damage to you. Chief among them was Yoav. Yoav was a very senior, very well-respected general in Israel. He was also a contrarian who would dare to defy David uh, on many occasions leading up to this moment. He would, he would go against David's explicit command, and so he, he's liable to do the same right now regarding David's choice for king. In fact, before David publicly anointed Shlomo, that take, that's, that's granted, it was before the public anointing, but Yoav did already throw his support behind Adoniah. And it should be noted that that's despite the fact that it seems from our reading of the first Perak that it was a matter of public knowledge that David promised the throne to Shlomo. So David tells Shlomo that if you want to maintain control, which is, of course, in everyone's interest, you need to get rid of Yoav. That's point number one. This wasn't about a petty grievance. This was about Shlomo maintaining control. And the same is true for Shemi ben Geira. We know less about him, but we, can, we, we do know a, a significant amount. We know that we're talking about someone who was part of Shaul's family, part of the, the broader royal family. He had clout in, in, the tribe, in the tribe of Binyamin. And he has proven himself to be a little bit of a political opportunist. He was ready to betray David and to turn his back on David when, he, when David was vulnerable and when he was fleeing from Avshalom. And the minute that David was then ascendant again, going back to Yushalayim, he was quick to throw his support again and to, and to ingratiate himself once more to David. So this is someone with power who is also a cunning political actor. And now in this moment, it's, uh, there's a potential risk that Shimi could once again try to seize power because of the vacuum left after David's death. So David, again, here, is not pursuing a petty grievance against uh, Shimi, who cursed out the king. He was trying to ensure that Shlomo would succeed by neutralizing these potential forces of, of instability. And that's why David uh, did not kill them by himself. Right? That's, that, 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 that's maybe the, the greatest proof that this is correct. David could have killed these people. Maybe, maybe his hands were a little bit tied, but David could have figured out a way uh, to, to handle these people by himself, but he didn't, he didn't because he didn't have to. David had a firm grip on the kingship. Once he came back from the coup from Avshalom, we don't have any hint that David's rule was at, in question at all. And so he could, he could countenance, he could tolerate Shimi, he could, he could countenance, he could tolerate Yoav. But now... The threat to Shlomo was very real. And that's why David chooses these as his last words. You could also add that perhaps the continued signs of show, uh, demonstrations of gratitude to Barzillai was also political in nature, right? His family was obviously a people of tremendous wealth and, and, and clout and significance to be able to give harbor to David when he was fleeing from Avshalom. And so there's a significant family, that uh, significance, uh, significant alliance here. And we know where, where, where were they geographically. They were in the Transjordan. And so it was presumably very, very strategic to continue to preserve that relationship with uh, part of the nation that's kind of naturally uh, more on the margins, naturally more of an outsider. So by preserving that relationship, you could also say it wasn't just uh, an act of Hakar Satov, and it was an act of Hakar Satov, but it wasn't just. It was also a strategic act, perhaps, if we want to put it into this constellation of strategic ways that Shlomo can 
preserve his 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 uh, his grasp on the kingship, so we could also put the Barzilai gratitude into that same framework. Great. Before Shlomo follows up on these tasks, which he is going to in this perek, the story is interrupted, and we learn that Adonia approaches Batsheva, Shlomo's mother, and he asks her to go uh, to Shlomo on his behalf and make a simple request. Adonia wanted to marry Avishag, the Sochanet to David. And Batsheva sees no problem with this, and she goes to Shlomo and she asks very passionately. She says, don't deny me this one request. And, uh, and she wants to get the Shadchan gelt. But Shlomo sees right through this request. He sees that it's not just a matter of Adonia falling for this, as we know, very, very beautiful woman, but this was a political play, very clearly. We've discussed at length in, in the past the symbolic significance of laying with a king's concubine. It was a way of signifying that you are the one in power now. Avshalom does this with David's concubines, and there are other examples throughout Tanakh of this as well. And now, uh, this is exactly the course of action that Adonia was pursuing. In Batsheva's defense, we could say, well, she didn't see that this was, he, that this was what he was doing because this wasn't David's concubine. She was a sochenet, she was a nurse, and everyone knows that David wasn't intimate with her. So maybe Batsheva took the more, the more charitable reading of this and, and, and decided or simply couldn't see that there was something more nefarious going on. But Shlomo does. He understands that despite these technical distinctions about whether David laid with her or not, she's a concubine, she's a sochenet, whatever the case may be, the optics were the same. And Shlomo, in his wisdom, saw that this was an attempt by Adonia to once again insinuate himself into the throne. I think if you read Adonia's request to Batsheva carefully, you'll, you'll see that Shlomo is 100% correct, but we don't have time to do that right now. And so Shlomo sends Binayahu to kill Adonia, which is what he does. Doesn't stop there because Adonia knows, excuse me, um, he doesn't, uh, um, Shlomo doesn't stop just by killing Adonia. Um, because he, he knows that Adonia had a, a whole entourage with him. His political machinations demonstrate that his whole coalition is still invested in trying to uh, supplant Shlomo. And so Shlomo then goes about trying to deal with the rest of his, of his crew, the rest of the people that uh, threw their support behind him. So the first person he goes to, he deals with is Eviatar HaKohen, who he exiles from Yerushalayim, why he's, uh, I think, particularly gracious. He doesn't kill Eviatar. He's gracious to, to him. I think also perhaps takes us back to the story of David and Nov, but I can't get into that here. Um, so he exiles Eviatar Kohen. He kills Yoav. And in killing Yoav, so now we kind of have these two stories overlap, right? We had the framing text, which was David telling uh, Shlomo to kill Yoav and these other people. And then we have the story with Adonia, which uh, led Shlomo to uh, exile Eviatar, to kill Adonia, and now to kill Yoav. And in so doing, it connects to the framing text, right? Because David also told him for different reasons to kill Yoav. The confluence of both, of course, uh, demonstrates that really all of these different killings and exiles, everything that Shlomo pursues in this parak is really an attempt to solidify his rule. So I think that that just serves to uh, strengthen the thesis that we presented earlier. After doing that, David, uh, Shlomo continues to pursue David's 
um, uh, his his mandate, his advice, and now he goes after Shimi ben Gera. And what does he do? So he follows the the ancient wisdom of keep your friends close and your enemies closer. He brings Shimi into Yerushalayim, and he tells Shimi that he must stay in Yerushalayim. He must dwell in Yerushalayim. If he leaves Yerushalayim, essentially, um, if he leaves a certain point. Uh, Shlomo says, I'm going to kill you. And Shimi agrees to the terms of that deal. He, and he's able to, uh, to follow those deal, that deal until one day he has some business to attend to. And God, again, I'm not going to get into all the details here. He had uh, to, to go and re- claim a, a servant that had fled. He goes to Gat, uh, to the Plishti city of Gat, and he returns. Uh, and then at that point, Shlomo is, uh, is able to... to uh, call him on having breached their deal, and Shlomo kills him. And the parak ends with the strong words, after all these people have been killed and one exiled, And the kingdom was firmly established in the hands of Shlomo. So a lot of blood needed to be shed to get there, but then again, David made it clear from the outset, This was never going to be easy. But now we have come to a place at the end of this kind of introductory section that the kingdom has firmly transferred from the hands of David to Shlomo. That's it for today. Chazak, Vemats, and happy learning.